0: Now, let's get to the heart of the matter. Hey, my wonderful heart dating family. You guys, we're in week three of our heartbreak and rejection series, and I am pumped by the responses we've been getting so far from you guys. I am so glad that you've been gleaning wisdom and insight and can even see yourself in some of the stories that have been shared so far. If you missed it, for week one, we had Alec Bevere on talking about how to find hope and healing in heartbreak, as Alec shared how God so beautifully met him in his grief after a broken engagement. And then last week, we had the gift of having Dr. Margaret Nagib walk us through the concept of soul ties. We talked about what they are, how to break them, are there good soul ties, all the things. And before we get into the topic for today and our lovely guest, I just want to make a few announcements. First, did y'all know we want to hear from you? Mm -hmm. I want to know what you are loving and want more of on this podcast. Now, the best way you can actually do that will be to write a review on iTunes in the Apple Podcast Store. You can do this by opening the Apple Podcast app, navigating to the Heart of Dating page, then scrolling to the bottom of the podcast page, clicking five stars for a rating, and then hitting the little button that says, write a review. You guys, I personally read every review and take them all to heart. And it also helps us to get the podcast into more ears of more listeners. So thank you in advance. Also, oh my gosh, I am so excited to announce that my new heartbreak program is finally ready to hit the world in a fresh and new way. This program called Heartbreak to First Date is the step by step journey to healing, gaining self love, processing, conquering lies, and finally having hope, clarity, and vision to get back out there. Here's what one of our amazing girls, Christina, had to say about her experience I had just gone through an upsetting heartbreak. I knew I had a tendency to spiral into self blame. I wanted to flip the script on how I handle breakups going forward. By joining this program, I was investing in myself and making myself better. Overall, my heart and confidence were transformed after this program. Oh, I love that. You guys, I have such a heart for this topic as someone who has gone through so many romantic heartbreaks myself, but I've been able to walk in resilience and strength. If you want to sign up and find out when this program goes live, which is going to be very, very soon, you can go ahead and visit heartofdating.com forward slash heartbreak. Y'all are not going to want to miss this. Okay, so now into the conversation for this week. This particular conversation is so near and dear to my heart, friends. Today, we're talking about how to recognize abuse and gaslighting. The statistics of those affected by abuse are astronomical. And I have personally myself been affected by every form of abuse emotional, verbal, physical, and sexual. Now, earlier this year, a friend recommended that I read a book called Indestructible. And after reading it, I just knew I had to get the amazing author, Allison Fallon, onto the podcast to share her heart and story on this topic. Alison Fallon writes books, helps people write books, and believes a regular practice of writing can change your life. She is the author of 12 books and counting, a sought-after public speaker and coach, and she coaches hundreds of authors all the way from New York Times bestsellers to total beginners. She has spent the last decade coaching hundreds of people to gain confidence, overcome writer's block, and get their stories on paper. Even if you say, I'm not a writer, she can show you how a daily practice of writing can improve your sleep, your focus, your creativity, your productivity, and even your relationships. So, today we have an incredibly open dialogue about abuse. Allison shares some of her story with her ex husband, and I also share a bit about my abuse experiences. We talk about how to recognize signs and patterns of abuse. We talk about what emotional abuse really is and why it's so harmful. Within that, we discuss gaslighting. We also talk about what to do if you are a friend of someone who you think is being abused. Whether or not you think you've been in an outright abusive relationship, or maybe you just know someone who has been, this episode will prepare you and make you more aware of the signs and symptoms of an abusive relationship. So without further ado, here's my interview with Alison Fallon. Alison Fallon, hi girl. Welcome to Heart of Dating Podcast.
1: Hi, thanks
0: for having me. So excited that we are able to do this today, girl. And I just, I got to say, a few months ago when I read your book, Indestructible, it was, it just really hit me. It hit me so much when I was reading the pages. I think I read it in like a few days. Um, And I was like, I just, if if I have the opportunity, I want to speak to this amazing woman. And so really excited that we're getting to do that today. So thank you so much.
1: Thank you. I'm so excited to be here.
0: Yeah. So, will you just, I know I mentioned one of the books you've written, but will you tell everyone just a little bit about you and what you do, what you're passionate about?
1: Sure. I always say the easiest way to say what I do is that I write books, I help people write books, and I believe a regular practice of writing can totally change your life. So, those are the three things that I do. I've written actually um, more than a healthy handful of books I've written. I'm working on several right now, but most of the books that I've written, um, two of them are mine. And then the rest of them are all co-written with other people or ghost written for other people. And then I've helped hundreds of people outline, edit, refine, produce, get their books out there in the world. And I also teach writing workshops to people who would never necessarily say that they want to write a book, but that are interested in writing or who have journaled regularly and found it to be really therapeutic and teach people how to use writing as a tool to grow personally or heal from trauma all kinds of things
0: that's incredible girl if people want to get connected with you i know we'll share it at the end but how do they find like what you're doing and connect with you on that if they're interested in writing
1: the best way is to go to findyourvoice.com so um, find your voice is the community that i started to help support anybody who wants to write anything but you can also find me on social media on instagram i'm at ali fallon and just a-l-l-y-f-a-l-l-o-n and i post daily writing prompts and all kinds of encouragement for writers there as well. So
0: Awesome. Amazing. Well, I love what you do. I love your writing. Obviously, I really highly connected with even just the books you've written personally. But if anyone is a writer and is interested in that, they absolutely should check out what you're doing. So I'm really pumped about our conversation today, Allie, because as we kind of talked about before, this is something that we're going to dive into today that a lot of people I feel like have heard these terms or know the concept of emotional abuse and things like that, but they don't really know the ins and outs. They don't know the details. They don't know how to spot it or recognize it. And I really just have such a heart to bring more light to that area. And I know I know, especially, especially like you do as well. And so I want to start by reading a stat recently from the National Domestic Violence Hotline, which says that, about 10 million people suffer from physical abuse every single year, which averages about 20 people per minute. And more than one in three women, which is about 35.6%, and more than one in four men, 28.5%, in the United States have experienced rape, physical violence, or stalking by an inmate, uh, Oh, sorry, not an inmate, by an intimate partner in their lifetime. And not by an inmate. Oh my gosh. But just reading the yeah, reading these stats, I was Like, wow, okay. So, and that's domestic violence. But underneath that umbrella, there is more than just physical violence. We also have emotional abuse. And under that, you know, verbal abuse as well, which I think is way less recognizable in many ways. Now, I know just in reading and talking to you that you have quite the story of some unexpected emotional and verbal abuse. And we'd just love to hear if you'd um, honor us with that today, a little bit about that story, if you're willing to share.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. I think, you know, the statistic you just read is really uh, shocking. I still remember the first time that I read that statistic and realized what that means is um, when you look at your circle of friends, there are a handful of people in your immediate circle of friends who have suffered some kind of physical abuse. So like just to just to like really drive this point home, if you're talking about 10 of your friends, there's at least three of them that have suffered some kind of physical abuse without your knowing it. Mm. I used to think of abuse so, so much differently than I do now after having suffered through it. Um, and I used to have lots of unhelpful misconceptions about what abuse is and what an abused person looks like and how a person gets themselves in a position where they might be. Uh, vulnerable to abuse, and then uh, all kinds of misconceptions about why a person would stay in a situation where they were yeah. being abused. And living through what I've lived through really just opened my eyes and has shifted my attention and shifted the way that I see that altogether. In in a really helpful way, honestly, it has mm. changed the way that I approach conversations with friends when they talk to me about their intimate relationships. It's it yeah, it just has completely opened my yeah. eyes. So.
0: I completely agree with you, girl. Like before I even went through anything as well, I just kind of thought that all of that was like a very far off thing, (laughs) you know, like Mm -hmm. it's never going to really happen to me or I don't even, especially when it comes to emotional and verbal abuse, I was like, what? Like, I don't even really know what that looks like. And to me, I also used to think verbal abuse was only like if you are just like outrightly calling that person terrible things all day, every day, you know, but it actually is so much more nuanced than that now being through what I've also been through such a different perspective uh, and such a heart for, oh, wow. Okay. No, this is serious. What you're talking about isn't something to just be swept under the rug. We like need to talk about this more, you know?
1: Totally. totally And again, you know, going back to that statistic, like the thought that there are three of your friends in a group of 10 who have suffered some sort of physical violence feels really shocking. Mm
0: -hmm. But then to
1: your point, you have to think that's what that is, is three people who have reported Physical violence. So, and that doesn't include unreported physical violence, and it actually doesn't include emotional, spiritual, um, mental abuse, which is can actually be much more insidious. Anyway, maybe you kind of were getting at this, but maybe it would be good for me to tell a little bit of how I realized I was in an abusive relationship, how I got there. Um, We can go from there. You can ask more questions as you have them. So, I got married back in 2010. Um, and I was in a place in my life when I met my, my now ex-husband, we've been divorced for several years, but, um, I was in a place in my life where I was pretty vulnerable. Mm-hmm. I was, um, in a tight knit church community where the unspoken expectation was that you get married fairly young.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, um, a lot of young people in this church community, people were getting married, like anywhere from 19 19 to 25, which skews quite young in the scheme of what the national averages are. Nobody ever said to me, you have to get married young, but there was a lot of emphasis on um, the marriage relationship and as a woman on becoming a mother. And it was just part of the fabric of how I was raised. I don't think anybody was necessarily, I don't think that most people were necessarily malicious in the way that they approached it, but it was just part of the fabric of how I understood life to be. Mm. So um, as I was watching my friends get married I was feeling a lot of pressure to also figure out my my significant other and get that figured out
0: yeah (laughs) get get (laughs) it on lockdown yeah get it on lock girl
1: (laughs) I had been in a relationship with a man who uh, I was really interested in marrying I kind of you know the way it is and romantic partnerships where you think like, this is the person I could totally see this being my person. Mm. And when that relationship ended, it left me in this position where I just felt really devastated, mm. really brokenhearted, really um, behind. I felt like I was behind. And mm. I I have learned since that this position of feeling broken hearted leaves you in a place of great vulnerability. Yeah, It's a time in your life when you're broken hearted to be very cautious of um, who you're trusting because mm. you're, you're kind of figuring out like, who am I and what's my voice? And, and so you're really open to manipulation and yes. that, this is when I met my ex-husband. Mm, so so um, we had been, we got Uh, married really quickly. From the time that we met to the time we got married, it was less than four months. No, I'm sorry. It was four months in one day. Oh, wow. So that that was another thing that should have in retrospect been a red flag for me. Not that relationships can't progress quickly, but in a situation where you're coming off of um, some sort of a heartbreak and you're vulnerable anyway, and then the timeline to a new romantic partnership moves really quickly. Again, it's just another place where you're very vulnerable to manipulation because you don't have The benefit of quality time with a person to watch their character play out over weeks and months.
0: Yeah. So, and I even I say like when it's only a few months, like anybody can kind of be on their best behavior for a few months,
1: you know. In fact, there's this great book that I read called um, "How to Avoid Falling in Love with a Jerk."
0: Oh, that's good.
1: (laughs) just like a perfect. um, Love the title. (laughs) Title very descriptive. But he talks about this 90 day trial period, actually. Mm. So I grew up in the culture of, of abstinence in Christian yep. culture. Yep. And this book is a really different approach to a similar kind of concept. So mm. it's a very, it's a totally secular approach. This is a scientist and researcher who's writing the book. But what he talks about is there's this 90 day period when you first meet someone where for 90 days, he says, pretty much anyone can pretend to be anything. Mm. so until you've known someone for 90 days you really aren't sure whether the person that they're presenting to you is the real version of them or not Mm. and the other thing he says too he gives uh, a really compelling argument for what happens when you're physically intimate with someone yeah what happens is even in hand holding truly but when you hold someone's hand there's chemicals that get released in your body that are all the really happy, good chemicals. It's oxytocin and dopamine yeah. and serotonin. And this is why we love, love, we love falling in love because yeah. it feels so good. So you have all these happy chemicals that are getting released in your body that are actually oxytocin as a bonding chemical. This mm-hmm. is the chemical that's released when you, when a mother nurses her baby. Yeah. And um, the, the biological purpose for this, he says is a mother's, you know, if you kind of think like uh, hundreds of years ago, a mother's nursing her baby and If her baby cries, she's not going to abandon her baby in the woods because all this oxytocin has been released in her body. And so she feels very bonded to the baby. Mm. So that's the biological purpose of the oxytocin, but it's, it's a bonding chemical. So when you are physically intimate with someone, all this oxytocin is released in your body and what it does to you is there, there are three things that he lists that it does. One, it causes you to overlook a person's flaws. Mm. Two, it causes you to run to them in crisis Mm. so think of like the biological purpose of of the evolutionary purpose of that right it like when you are bonded to this group of people when there's crisis in the community you're all going to come together um overlook their flaws run to them in crisis and i can't remember what the third one is but essentially the idea is this is a bonding chemical
0: yeah
1: so when you meet someone and within five days of knowing them you're sleeping with them Mm you have created a bond with them that's so strong that you're actually going to be very ineffective when it comes to determining their character. Yeah. (laughs) Like scientifically
0: proven. Okay.
1: (laughs) Scientifically proven. And I just thought this was such a helpful approach, especially as I was like, even after my marriage was over and I was coming out of that evangelical mindset and I was kind of like, I don't know if abstinence until marriage is still the approach I want to take in dating as it was the first Mm. time around doesn't seem to make sense for me now. And, but, but I was sort of like what is a physical sexual ethic that I'd like to take into my dating life. And when I read this book, I just thought, okay, this makes tons of sense. You just time with a person. You need the luxury of time without those bonding chemicals to just figure out who they really are to make sure that the person they're presenting to you is the truth of, of who they are. So, yeah. um, I didn't have that in my, my marriage, um, like leading up to my marriage, I had instead a really fast-tracked timeline. And a lot of, um, we did, we, we were from the abstinence culture. So we waited till we were married to have sex, but there was a lot of mixed messages yeah. in the relationship. And I've talked to a bunch of women who all say, this is really so, and it actually happens for men too, but a lot of mixed messages around it's really important that we wait for sex, but I'm going to push the line as far as possible. Um, Mm Yeah, He was very, very aggressive with me physically from the very beginning, the very first time that I met him. Mm. And so there was just a lot of confusion and imagine chemically what's happening in your body when like your oxytocin is getting ramped up and you feel bonded to this person and you have these um, really uh, elevated high It's a, it's a drug high kind of experience with someone. And then you have an experience where the way that they're behaving doesn't seem to match with that high that you felt. Mm -hmm. Um, but actually what your body starts to do is it starts to go like, I need another hit of the dopamine. Oh man. Yep. And the place you got the dopamine last was from that person. So Mm -hmm. you keep going back just like a drug addict
0: goes back. Yes. It's like it's such a true analogy. And when a few years ago, over six years ago, when I was in my abusive relationship, like that's how my therapist explained it to me as I was weaning off of that relationship. She's like, you are literally weaning off like a drug because you've gone through this process of and we were sexually intimate and continuously. And that was basically the (laughs) Band-Aid in the relationship. And he had to be convinced in some capacity that that was like well, I was never gonna have as good of sex as I was going to with him, you know, mm-hmm. and I believed yeah. it. And so everything you're saying, even just that um that metaphor of a of an addict is is really real. It's not to cause any shame, even if anybody's listening, but it's like this is real. These things are happening in your brain and in your body, and we have to be aware of them,
1: yep, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. exactly. It it is really helpful to start to be aware of the actual chemical response that's happening in your body. Because for me, at least reading that book, um, the how to avoid falling in love with the jerk lifted the shame for me. And it also gave me a really practical uh, approach to my own sexual ethic moving forward in dating as a 30 something divorced woman. I was like, okay, for me, it's more about, can I spend a good chunk of time with someone Hmm. without being physical with them? And then I get to make grown-up, adult, grounded, rational decisions about how I'd like to move forward in my physical relationship with this person Mm. that are not like – they're just rational. They're rational, grounded decisions about how I'd like to conduct myself, you know, versus a a decision that you make and then second guess later and then question and, Mm. you know, all of those things.
0: So you guys got married and then
1: (laughs) – So the way I usually tell the story is that we got married and it was two days into our honeymoon that I realized I had made a huge mistake. Mm. Um, Which really is, it's not um, like technically accurate because there were a couple of moments before the wedding that I went like, oh dear, this is not good. Yeah. (laughs) You're like, okay. And I say that because we all have those moments in relationships that you you bypass for one reason or another. Um, so it, I don't want it to sound like he was the perfect dream of a man until we got married. That isn't exactly true, but he was really, he put on a really good show for most of the time until we got married Yeah, with a few exceptions where I really questioned what was going on. And then after we had been married, you know, less than 48 hours was when I started to see, those red flags come through even more strongly and more consistently. So um, that was the first time really in our relationship that I realized he had the capacity to be violent with me. Mm. It was the first time that I was really, truly afraid of him. Mm. It's the first time I we got into an argument in the car and we came to a stop sign and I got out of the car because I was so afraid Mm. of what was about to happen um, and then as is really true in abusive relationships, immediately as soon as he saw that I was afraid of him, he flipped on a dime and got out of the car and was very soothing and calming and kind of wooed me back to him. And um that's a yeah. it's a manipulative tactic that yep. people use when they they don't want to feel vulnerable to you. So they, they have to stay in control by using sometimes I mean for some people, everybody it's different, but for some people they use. Um, violence or threats of violence and then and then as soon as they are back in control then they can sort of act as the rescuer soother
0: and they um, come in with the love and affection or any sort of honeymoon Mm -hmm. kind of things and reminiscing that's often if you're like further distance from the person but yeah oh man I can fully connect with that and it's a way of you're like oh but it disorients your mind because you're like but now they're so kind and oh wait you know
1: (laughs) Should yeah, I just forgive it is them? really, really confusing.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that was the first time that happened, and then kind of what what played out after that.
1: There were we would go through cycles where uh, I would feel like something would happen that would make that would wake me up to the fact that this was not good. Yeah, um, and then I would try to explain it away, or what a lot of what I did was shape shifting myself to fit into the space that was provided for me. Um, So, I mean, some of that is, it's funny how the physical, like the physical represents the spiritual or emotional that's happening. Like there were, we would, I would sleep like on the tiniest little corner of my bed because he'd get frustrated if I came over at all toward oh, wow. him or touched him in the middle of the night, like little things like that, that I just realized over time, I was like, I am making myself smaller and smaller and smaller to make sure that I don't upset him. I don't frustrate him. I don't ever step on his toes. I don't ever piss him off. I don't ever say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing or go the wrong place. It's just like a constant hypervigilance yeah. trying to make sure that you don't upset this person who's so easily upsettable, And, and you do internalize it. You feel like, um, at least I did, over time, I internalized the feeling that this was my fault. And that if Mm. I could just figure out a way to not do the things that upset him, then everything would be okay. And our relationship would be stable and normal. And Mm. um, it just never, ever, we never got there. And in fact, over time, we were together for four years. And I've talked to women who have gotten out much quicker. And I've also talked to women who have stayed in relationships like this for 20 or 30 years and had multiple children together. And the damage to you mentally, emotionally, and spiritually is just really, really severe. Mm. So the reason that I say that is because if someone's listening who's in the very early stages of a relationship like this, it's not the kind of thing where I would say, you know what, you're going to figure it out over time. Sometimes it just takes us a while to figure this stuff out. It's the kind of thing where I would say, think really long and hard about the long-term ramifications for you mentally, Um, the the PTSD that you're going to deal with, the way that this is going to change you irrevocably and just really take stock of whether that's something that this is a direction you'd like to take your life. Mm-hmm. And then for someone who's been in a relationship like this much longer, like if you're listening and you, you think, Oh, this is my marriage and I've been in this for 20 years and we have three kids together. Two things I hope for you. Number one, I hope that you will um, hear that the s- severity of the situation is extreme yeah. and it's okay for you to, take measures to leave. Mm. Um, obviously be safe in that. So if you're worried about your partner being violent, I would call a domestic violence hotline, yeah. um, reach out for some support from friends uh, people or pastor, therapist, anybody yeah. who can help you like make the appropriate plans to leave. And then also, let's say you're already out of the relationship and you're like, what is wrong with me? Why do I cry at the drop of a hat? Why do I apologize for every tiny, tiny little thing that I do? Why do I go into a social setting and I immediately shut down and can't talk to anyone? Why do I feel like such an idiot all the time? Why do I beat myself up? Why do I whatever, whatever, whatever? Just know that this is, these are natural, normal symptoms of the Mm -hmm. abuse. It's PTSD Mm -hmm. and there's no way to overcome the PTSD without intentional treatment. It's just like anything. It's like any disease, like any cancer or ailment of any kind. Yeah, somebody that's infected
0: you. Mm -hmm.
1: You'd never expect a broken leg to heal without treatment. So your PTSD is going to need treatment to heal. And that for me has come in the form of um, experiential therapy. So, like EMDR, brain spotting, um, body movement, yoga talk therapy writing writing has played a major role in my healing Mm. hearing the stories of other people sharing your own story getting in grief support groups going to al-anon whatever it is for you like it is going to take a village (laughs) so and it's um, possible
0: it's possible Mm -hmm. it
1: is totally possible Mm -hmm. but just have tons and tons and tons of grace for yourself Mm. in the interim
0: So the thing that I love that you just said that, and I hope that whoever's listening is so encouraged by that because we do have people in relationships or even married people listening or people who know people who are in this situation and don't know how to handle it even as a friend to them. Okay, friends, I just want to take a quick break in our amazing episode today to share with you our incredible sponsor for this episode. This episode is brought to you by Denison Ministries. Denison Ministries is a movement creating 7 million culture-changing Christians who are committed to carrying out the truths of the gospel to their sphere of influence. One of my favorite ways that Denison Ministries is helping Christians feel closer to God is through their First 15 devotional. First 15 is designed to help you spend the first 15 minutes of your day experiencing God through meaningful devotionals, scripture, worship, and prayer. Now, we always talk about how singleness and dating is the perfect season to grow closer to God, right? I mean, it really is. We can't waste this time. We have to make the most of every moment that we have. We really do. The additional time that we have now needs to be spent growing closer to God as much as we possibly can. So if you hear me saying that right now and you're like, yeah, Kate, that's great and all, but I am busy, friend. Well, I hear you. I am also busy at doing awesome things as I'm sure you're doing too. But here's the deal. Can you not at least spend 15 minutes a day studying and being with God? I mean, that is at least a priority we should be making in our life right now. So friend, I wanna encourage you to sign up for the First 15 email devotional that can be sent directly to your inbox at first15.org forward slash subscribe. Or you can even start your day off with the First 15 devotional podcast and listen to that anywhere that's convenient for you. Join me in doing this simple, but really, really impactful discipline so we can together really begin pressing into knowing God in a bigger and better way in our singleness. All right, there is one more thing I wanna share with you guys today that you're gonna love. Let me ask you, is there something interfering or preventing you from really being in a healthy dating relationship? I don't know about you, but for me, dating has become a huge eye-opener of things in my life that I personally need to reflect on, heal from, and grow in. It's like when you start dating, the floodgates of past things come bubbling to the surface. It's like, okay, gotta deal with them. Anyone else feel me on this? Now, instead of being afraid of those things, what's helped me through this process is not only mentorship from other peers, but actually going and seeking counseling. Y'all know what I'm saying therapy. Now, many of you guys asked me for therapy resources, and the issue is I don't know therapists all around the country, but I found a solution. Today, I want to introduce you to something I know you're going to love called Faithful Counseling. Faithful Counseling is a Christian-based online therapy service. They're going to assess your specific needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist that is the best for helping you through whatever you're going through. The best part is it's a solution for anyone who wants traditional mental health counseling but wants it done from a Christian lens. That's especially why I love this service. And get this, you guys, you can fill out your needs and start communicating with a therapist in under 24 hours. That means get off here right now, fill out a form, and start communicating with someone tomorrow. And for my listeners not in the U.S., you guys, this is available worldwide for you. Let me tell you, I have been doing therapy from the comfort of my home since the beginning of 2019, and it's been a game changer for me. You can show up in your jammies and feel super relaxed. You can log into your account anytime and send messages to your counselor, aka when you're having a down day, and you can expect a timely and thoughtful response. If for any reason you need to change counselors, you can do that for free. Now let's talk money, 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 because I know you guys are thinking about it. One of the top reasons I love Faithful Counseling is because it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and there's even financial aid available. It's so good for all of us single dating people on a budget, you know what I'm saying? Now I could not be more thrilled to share this with you guys today, and right now for Heart of Dating listeners, Faithful Counseling is offering you 10% off your first month by visiting faithfulcounseling.com forward slash Heart of Dating. Therapy is hands down one of the best decisions I've ever made for my life, you guys. You will never regret investing in your own personal growth. So I highly encourage you to check it out and get 10% off your first month at faithfulcounseling.com forward slash heart of dating. So, you know, kind of backing up to like talking about emotional abuse and where it starts. Um, I feel like a lot of people, you mentioned some things that your ex did, but we just talk about some of the first signs and symptoms that you can recognize like, oh, like if they're doing this, this could be a sign that they are um, like emotionally abusive because, you know, actually a lot of the times in some cases, like the emotional abusers don't even necessarily realize that they're really being emotionally abusive versus with physical abuse. It's like, okay, You do something to to someone else physically. You physically hurt them. That is clearly very blatantly physical abuse. But emotional abuse, when it comes through various different emotions and verbally saying things and kind of those tactics, it's very. It's it's sometimes not even as conscious, and usually out of forms of fear and self protection and you know control. But anyways, if we could just talk about some of those. Yeah. sign so people can I, recognize it
1: I actually would love to to talk for a minute about the physical abuse because I know yeah. you mentioned it being yeah it, it is more obvious and at the same time I will tell you I was 12 months out of my marriage before I could call what happened to me physical abuse mm. it was so hard to use the word because he he never punched me in the face mm. and I think we have this image of physical abuse that yeah. is, punching someone in the face and that you have a black eye for days and physical abuse is abuse that's physical. So like what, what the way that it happened for me is I was telling a story to a friend talking about how he would grab my wrist and throw me up against a wall and push me up against the door and and put his forearm up against my neck Mm. and or hold me down on the bed. And he said to me, that's, that's physical abuse, you know, like to him, it was so obvious. And Mm -hmm. to me, when I was in it, I was like, well, you know, I had all these excuses. And, and again, like I mentioned at the beginning of this conversation, I had this image in my mind that a woman who's battered, uh, like a a woman who's physically abused in a relationship has low Mm self-esteem, comes from a low socioeconomic background, has no family support has no support in her community, has no education, has no way out, has no money, like all these things that are just not true. Yeah. The statistics don't play out that this is true. I had all those things. I had, yeah. you know, um, I, there were certainly holes in my self-esteem, especially when I first met him. But for the most part, I was a pretty confident young woman. Mm, I, I, you yeah. know, like I had lots of friends. I am highly educated. I have a master's degree. I come from a very supportive family network. I was a part of a connected church community. I had an active social life. So even despite all of those things, there was all this stuff happening behind closed doors in my home that I never, ever, ever spoke about outside yeah. of my home. So if if it's you mm-hmm. and you're in that position, just know that what's happening to you is physical abuse, as hard as it is to call it that. And if you're worried that a friend, that that might be going on with a friend, one thing I I would say that you could say to that friend without, mm. you have to be careful not to push too hard because they're hiding it for a reason. Yeah. But if you just ask when they start to talk about their relationship, just ask them to tell you more about that. Like, tell me more about what that looks like. Tell me more about what he said to you, tell me, and then what happened next, yeah, and just see if you can get them talking about it because the more the words come out of your mouth, the more you're like i mean i I'll, I'll never forget the first time I said he held me down on the bed. Mm. it was the first time I had ever cried about it, honestly, mm. when I said the words out loud, so. Uh. You know, what
0: you're even saying is, is resonating to me because if I knew that my relationship six years ago was physically abusive because there were some very distinct times that it was extremely physically abusive for many reasons. But then I kind of always thought that it was only a handful of times. And then when I've now in more recent years look back to your point, I realized like there was one time that he came home extremely light at night that and that one specific month, month he was living with me. And because I found out he was hanging out with other women and I asked him about that, he like took my head and put it in the pillow and held me my head down in the pillow. And I never, you know, and I couldn't breathe. And I never reflected originally on that as being abuse. I was like, Okay, well, that was like a little mistake, you know? <laughs> but yeah. the other times where he was actually th- like throwing me and doing various other things, like I was like, those were the physically abusive times, but not sure. that time or not other times that happened just like that. So, really, really appreciate you saying that because that is so true.
1: Okay, so back to your other question about um, the red flags of emotional and yeah. mental abuse a couple of things. Number one is uh, isolation from friends and family members. Mm. So this was the one of the first red flags that I should have seen and didn't see was that he was very particular about who I was quote unquote allowed to talk to and who I wasn't allowed to talk to hmm. and he was really protective over my text messages and always wanted to see what I was saying and who I was saying it to and was like real involved in who I, he you know if I was talking to someone yep. on the phone he would want to sit right there and hear every word so I felt that I didn't have any privacy yeah and something that I remember now, I remind myself now, and that is good for all of us to remember is that without privacy, there is no intimacy. Mm. And that's, it's interesting because that sounds like a contradiction and an oxymoron, Mm. but intimacy is voluntary, always voluntary. Mm. So I basically decide that what's private to me, I would like to share with you and you get to make the same decision. Mm. of your own volition, and you move toward me, and I move toward you, and that's where we find intimacy. Mm. If you ever feel like you are forced into a position of intimacy, whether it's emotional or physical, that's not intimacy. It's called abuse. Wow. So if you're forced to share details that you don't want to share right now, you don't feel ready to share, that's abuse. Mm. So isolation from friends and family members. Abusers, by the way, you made the point that abusers aren't aren't always doing this consciously, and I think that's really true. But whether subconsciously or consciously, abusers do this, they isolate you from the people who they know will see right through them because those people don't have the benefit of the oxytocin high.
0: right? And the connection, yeah, and all the connection and kind of like the fogginess that you're experiencing by being with them. they are like outside the picture being like, oh, wait a second. (laughs) Yeah, that's so so true.
1: Anytime you feel isolated from your friends and family members in a relationship, that's a red flag. Another red flag, and this was uh, advice given given to me by a therapist, is that when you feel perpetually confused when you're around someone, you can pretty much know you're being manipulated. Mm. Because when I wasn't with him, I would feel very clear about what I wanted, who I was, what I was about, what mattered to me, and then I'd be with him, and then I'd be like, wait a second, but did I say that? Did I want that? Did I go there? Did I do that? Did I... Think that about that person or did or was that you? Mm. And it was like this weird fogginess that I couldn't figure out the difference between him and me.
0: Mm. And that
1: is manipulation. You can pretty much tell you're being gaslighted when you feel constantly confused.
0: Can we just even you just brought up that word, but that is like a word that I I've now been talking about way more openly just via social media and to people, but a lot of people don't have never even heard that word. Can you Mm. explain a little bit what the definition is or what it is?
1: Gaslighting is used as a therapeutic term, but it actually comes from a Hitchcock movie, an old <laughs> Hitchcock movie, yeah. which I've never seen. But the way it's been explained to me is there's a scene in the movie or a few scenes where the husband is flickering the lights in the house mm-hmm. and the wife is like, the lights are flickering. And he's like, no, they're not. <laughs> so when someone constantly discounts your reality, like you're experiencing flickering lights, you can see them with your own two eyes and someone's telling you that's not happening what are you talking about you start to feel like you're going crazy yes and you really do start to second guess every decision you question yourself you question your own sanity you feel like you're the problem mm. you and then and what happens over time is your s- self-worth is not the right word it's like your sense of self yeah. erodes so completely The only option left for you is to ask permission for pretty much everything you do Mm -hmm. or to ask someone else's perspective or opinion. So when you stay in a relationship like this for years, this is why I was saying like the brain, the impact on your brain is really detrimental is over time. You start to feel like you don't know what you want. You don't know what you need. You don't know who you are. You don't know how to make a decision. You can't. I mean, I wrote about this in the book, but trying to purchase a car after my marriage ended was like the most traumatic experience because I just was so panicked I felt like and I'm think of this I'm a 20 or sorry I'm a 32 year old woman yeah purchasing a vehicle like (laughs) this is not rocket science and people do it every day and I was having a total meltdown over it because I couldn't trust myself enough to make a decision
0: because you had been constantly questioning your feelings and your instincts and and relying and because of that having to rely on him to give you answers or like go to other people because if you brought something up he would completely discount it right and like the the some phrases at least for me I know were common were like what are you talking about this is all in your head you're being so dramatic my, my specific trigger word, and I just, anytime I'm in a relationship, I'm like, just never say this to me, is you're crazy. Um, and that one for me is just like, if you say that, I'm like, I shut down and we got to, <laughs> let's just take a moment. Um, I'm not okay with that because it was a constant, constant, you're crazy, you're crazy. You know, you're making this, you're blowing this out of proportion, all of that stuff. Yeah.
1: That's the, that's the devalidation of Mm -hmm. experience that I'm talking about. That's gaslighting. Anytime you tell someone like I'm sad, for example, and they go, why are you sad? That's a dumb thing to be sad over. Yeah. That's a devalidation of your experience. So nobody else gets to decide for you what your experience or your response is to a certain situation. The same event, there could be a hundred people at the same event and they all get in their cars and they go home. And if you asked one of them how the event went they would say something different than if you asked person number two or person mm. number 98, everybody's going to have a different experience at the event and nobody's experience is invalid. Everybody's experience is just different. And our experiences are largely grown from like our temperament and our sensitivity and our past life experience. And so if you're with a partner who's constantly going like, that's stupid, why would you be sad? Why are you happy about that? That's dumb. Yeah, It's, over time, I mean, there's no love there. First of all, it's yeah, it's so heartbreaking to think of that. But and it's super um, controlling.
0: It's like completely it controlling because it's like you're only allowed to feel like what I'm feeling or what, what I, I think is right. Or yes, exactly, exactly. It's terrible. It's so like this process of what you're revealing and talking about this gaslighting. It's it's just completely disorienting, which is why I share with people when they're like, "This is happening," or they're they're saying this to me. You know, it's like. Okay, you're disoriented right now rightfully so because they've put you in this position. Like mm-hmm. and that isn't okay. Cuz then you start you actually start believe I mean for me when it came over and over and over so many times, I started believing it was true. The the major gaslighting experience I had, well, the whole relationship was kind of <laughs> built on emotional abuse and and gaslighting, but after he was really really truly physically abusive for like a few days he admitted that he was. And then he totally switched. And for the next five months, he was like, I never did that. I never would have ever strangled you. I never would have done these things. Like, you're making that up. That's not me. Like, you're crazy. You just are out to get my name. And after hearing it and allowing myself to hear it for five months, I literally convinced myself that he was right. Yeah. (laughs) I, I thought, like, when I thought about it, I was like, Maybe maybe I did just make that up. You know, maybe that was a little more yeah. dramatic than it actually was. Maybe he didn't actually do those things and I just envisioned it. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: It's that's another telltale sign of abuse is the changing stories, mm-hmm. constantly changing stories or what I would call I haven't heard anyone else use this term, but I would call it feigned vulnerability. Mm. So they cry, they put on the show and addicts do this too. They, they cry, they put on the show, they they have tears, they show what seems like genuine remorse, and then they go right back to doing the same exact thing that they've wow. always been doing. So it's not real vulnerability. It's not real repentance. It's it's feigned. And mm. you want to fall for it every time because, you know, the average person just thinks like you have, you have such compassion for mm. like someone who made a mistake and didn't mean to, and they acted out of the heat of the moment and all of us deserve to have that kind of forgiveness and an abuser will capitalize on your normal human response to that yeah. situation and they'll do it over and over and over and over mm, again.
0: So um, true.
1: And then one true. more thing to look for are just inconsistencies, you know, like yeah. um there were incons- inconsistencies of character, inconsistency of story, inconsistency between what he was quote unquote allowed to do and what I wasn't allowed to do. Like yeah. he made a big deal about me texting with, with men like even if it was in a professional setting I wasn't allowed to text with men and yet he texted with women all the time and acted like I should be totally fine with it um so that and over time I realized like the the inconsistency was even bigger than I thought so anyway so those just Mm. keeping your eye open for those kinds of things and then remembering that if they do their job right and they do because these manipulators are very good at it Yeah. You are going to feel like it's the wrong thing to do to leave.
0: Yeah. It doesn't mean it is the wrong thing Mm -hmm. to
1: do. Mm -hmm. It's just going to feel like the wrong, it's going to feel so unnatural to leave the relationship. You're going to feel like you're being mean Mm -hmm. if they do their job right and they will. I felt like he made me feel so mean when I filed for divorce finally. And the only saving grace was that I had just been around the I had been through that spin cycle so many times that I was like, oh, I recognize this. This I've been here before. Yeah. We, you know, like I know exactly where we're headed next.
0: Right. <laughs> so, You're like, I, I know what he's going to say or how he's going to react. Yeah. Another thing I just in that in the all the symptoms, like something that I also just remembered um, to bring up would be just diverting the attention to. Uh, like something that actually you've done. Uh, And this happened to me actually in more recent years with somebody where I uncovered something that they did. And instead of taking ownership for that in any way, they, you know, diverted, I'm not even using the right term, there's a better term for this. Uh, But he basically diverted it and made it instead was like, well, you I just noticed you did this. And that becomes the bigger issue, because they want to have you know, they want to always stay in control and they'd never want... So it's their tactic to, like, divert your attention and energy. And for me, what's so disorienting in that is, like... Um, and how my therapist explained it to me was like, in a court of law, if you have hard facts and evidence that somebody did something terrible and you're the plaintiff and they're the defendant, you know, if they presented that in a court of law, the judge would be like, oh, that's ridiculous. You know, if they try to flip it on you in the middle of the courtroom. But um, in the mo- in, an, in a moment of intimacy when it's just you guys and you already have, like you said, th- these bonding agents, all these other things going on they will flip it on you and you suddenly start becoming the defendant of your own case that you feel like you should never have to be defending because it wasn't even about that issue. It wasn't even about that thing. And it's that's it becomes so disorienting that you're then defending yourself and you're like, wait a second, I was upset about you about something and now suddenly I'm defending myself. And yeah. you're so caught off guard that – It, it like, leaves you in a place to be really easily vulnerable to manipulation, like, super easily vulnerable. And they have, like, all the power over you and control. That's really true.
1: Yeah. Just one last thing that I'll give to someone who's wondering, like, am I in an abusive relationship? Yeah. Yeah. This question – is a question that I have asked myself over and over and over again as I've dated again after my divorce. um, And I'm engaged to be married in November, so... (laughs) really Amazing. (laughs) um, A question I've asked myself a bunch, even in this relationship, is how do I feel about myself when I'm around this person? Because it'll give you a lot of information about yourself, and it also will give you a lot of information about the person that you're with. Mm. When I was with my ex, I felt just constantly stupid and small and less than and um unimportant and even when I first started dating Matt who is my soon to be husband there were points in the beginning of our relationship where I felt a lot of anxiety Mm. and there was part of me that wondered like does this anxiety mean that I'm doing the wrong thing am I doing the wrong thing am I doing the wrong thing you know like that sort of like the panic that comes with um being vulnerable again after you've been taken advantage of. Mm. And I just would ask myself, how do I feel about myself when I'm with him? How do I feel about myself when I'm with with him? And I would always come back to when I'm with him, I feel like myself. I feel grounded. I feel settled. I feel safe. I feel seen. I feel noticed. I feel treasured, you know, like all these things. Yeah. And um, the anxiety that was coming up was this, was not about how I felt about myself, but it was about what I worried might happen. Yeah. Like I worried about getting hurt again, or I worried about being taken advantage of, but it wasn't, it didn't have to do with, yes,
0: with what he his was saying, behavior doing. or yes. his
1: actions. And that's just been a really helpful North star kind of compass for me as I've moved through this relationship and worked out some of that anxiety, like some of that anxious energy that gets pent up when you're, you're in a situation with a, a person where you don't ever get to have an emotional reaction about anything. Mm. So you hold it all in for all this time. And then when you're finally in a safe space, your, your body just goes like, now's a good time to let this all out. So like when we, when Matt and I first started dating, I was having panic attacks Mm. and I just was like, what is going on? Because this is such a good thing. But um, what's happening is your body's starting to work out all that old energy that couldn't come out when you weren't, when it wasn't safe. Yeah. So that, that asking myself that question has helped me really discern the difference between my body working out old trauma and knowing whether this person is, whether the relationship I'm in is abusive or not. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I get that question a lot from women who are like, you know, I've been through an abusive relationship and now I'm dating this new guy. And I feel a lot of anxiety around the new relationship and how did you get over that. And yes. the the answer is you want, number one, you have to have a very supportive mm-hmm. partner who you're honest with yeah. throughout the process. Like there's never been a time when Matt didn't know here's, this is the reality of the situation. And this is what you're getting into. Like, we're going to have to work this out together. Um, And he's always been really supportive about that. But then also asking myself that
0: question has been helpful. Yeah. And and as much as that person consistently – you can communicate that and that person consistently shows up for you in those areas, it like heals that anxiousness. It heals that worry. And even like coming back to like if you're familiar with the theory of attachment style, especially if like you're an anxious attachment style, Mm -hmm. which I was based on lots of my past experiences. But the theory of attachment style says that the beauty is that once you are loved – when And someone keeps showing up and meeting you in in like with consistent love, it heals Mm -hmm. that attachment style. So if I'm anxious consistently over time, if they continue to show up and meet me in that place of vulnerability it will heal and I will become weight, I will become a secure attached style. Um, and so usually a lot of that just – it works itself out in the beginning. And even though you can do tons of work like outside of the relationship through all the things you said earlier, Ali, through experiential therapy and talk therapy and just all the variety of different things you could do even outside of therapy, like – it still, because of it, it, you know, doing those things, you're not doing them necessarily in an intimate relationship. when you're in when you reopen that can of worms, when you reopen your heart to that, um you may have to you probably will have to still work these things out just as you just shared. Uh, yeah, some of it you mm-hmm. can
1: never get to without without yep. an intimate partnership. It's yep. like the intimate partnership helps you get there.
0: And all you can do is prepare for having that awareness and being able and willing and and ready to communicate that with the mm-hmm. other person. Exactly. So good. And something just quickly I'll say to you on if the person is in an abusive situation and, you know, asking the question, how do I feel about myself or when I'm around that person? You know, I encourage people because I've, I've definitely counseled women one-on-one on this before. And, I'm like, you got to also be real with yourself and then not be sitting in black and white thinking, which is like, well, when I ask you that question, you're only thinking about all the good stuff because that's, you know, that's part of their yeah. manipulation hook is to get you to think about the honeymoon and the love and affection and make you think yes. they can't live without you. And so make sure that I would even recommend in those moments when you are feeling anxious, like journal it, write it down so you have a place to have proof of like, oh, this is actually how I've been feeling. And, really and you know, nice. like, like here's the actual what's going on versus me living in white thinking because they're manipulating me to, to only think about the good stuff at various points in time. So oh, another thing as we wrap up here, I just wanted to ask you, you know, um, how have you learned too that you really just can't fix that person yourself? Because a lot of people I see stay because they're like, well can help them, you know, and obviously, that's codependency. Um, yeah. But it's really easy to get into like, oh, but I see that they could change, or I see that they could be different. What have you learned about that for yourself?
1: I think the biggest thing I've learned is there's only one person whose life you can live, and that's mm-hmm. your own. And it took a lot of self-awareness and self-reflection for me to realize that even my my commitment to sort of like helping him overcome his obstacles was my own way of avoiding Mm. my own work and, and what I'm here to do in this lifetime, you know, and I I think I kind of, I wouldn't have thought this at the time, but looking back, I'm like, I think I sort of thought I had my stuff together and that, that this was like a way that I could serve him and serve the world. And some of that's just like twisted theology from the Christian faith I grew up in you know, it was just like, I'm going to sacrifice my life for the sake of my husband. And I'm going to, you know, he's going to be a stronger man because of me. You have to really watch your ego in that because you think it's this selfless thing that you're doing, but it's actually, you're doing it because you want the credit and you're, you're also doing it as a way to avoid what's much more difficult, which is to look inside and figure out what is the work that I need to do to overcome my own obstacles so that I can give the gifts I have to give to the world. Because if I don't do that work, there's nobody yeah. else here who's going to do it for me. There's no one who can. Mm. And no matter how hard I try, I can't do his work for him. Yeah. So even in a healthy relationship, honestly, with Matt and I, even in a healthy relationship, we have to constantly remind ourselves like your work is your work to do. And my work is my work to do. And I can't cross. I, if I try to cross over into your lane and do your work, it just causes a traffic accident. You know, like yeah. you have to stay in your lane and I have to stay in my lane and I'll do my work and you do your work. And even in a healthy relationship, it's hard to maintain that balance. Um, Mm -hmm. Hard's probably too strong of a word, but it's, it's a, it's a, it's, it's, um, you have to have a constant awareness around it. And then, and then, so if you're in an abusive setting when someone's constantly pulling you into their lane and pulling you into their drama and everything's always an incident and a situation, they need to be rescued. Like then there's just no chance of you staying in your lane, you know? And this is why, like, if you're going to leave, the relationship, the advice I give is what my therapist said to me, which is the only real way to leave is total no contact. It's like yeah. cold turkey is basically what they're saying. You're quitting a drug. And if you try to stay in touch via text message or see them once a week, or we can still be friends or none of that, it's, it's none of it's going to work. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. You'll Absolutely. end up right back where you started. So I went total no contact, meaning no contact with him and no contact with anyone who has contact with him.
0: Mm. Just so like coming I, back to that analogy from the beginning of the addiction, like if you mm-hmm. are, if an, adi- an addict wants to get over their addiction, you have to starve them <laughs> of of them what's get feeding the addiction, which is anything that reminds them of that substance or is a temptation to them. And like, that's what we have to do similarly in these abusive settings. and. That's what my therapist had said to me after my abusive relationship years ago. It's like, you have to get away from every temptation, which means I had to even stay away from some friend groups. And I definitely, since we had at the time gone to the same church, I like had to go to different, like, you know, made sure that I was going to different service times and all of that really getting away from him because it was way too tempting and easy for me to fall back into it because I wasn't yet, I needed to get strong and be able to stand on my own two feet again. Um, Yep. And also with somebody just saying, like, if you are with an abuser who's like, I will change, I will change. Like, part of me is like, of course, there's redemption for people. However, you got to know that a lot of times they might be saying that in the moment as a tactic to get you to stay and to, co- like, control you, actually. Uh, and,
1: mm-hmm. and it – there's if they change because they want to keep you it's not true exactly
0: that too they have to change
1: because they want to change and the only way for anybody to really know whether that is happening is for them to have zero contact with you and zero hope of contact with you and then see if they change yeah and let me tell you this was such a confirmation for me after I filed for divorce because there were all these promises of all these things that were going to happen. Mm-hmm. And the minute that I filed for divorce, all of that went out the window and he did what he wanted to do. And I'm just, I'm not, that's not even a judgment. It's just saying, at least now we're all clear on the truth, which yeah. is that you didn't want to change. You did not want to. And so you got what you wanted and I got what I wanted, you know, yeah. like, um, and, and we're not lying to each other still.
0: Mm-hmm. And, you know, I know we've talked about this too, Allie, but just to kind of, you know, I'll, we have a lot of Christians listening to this podcast and, you know, just because someone is a Christian doesn't mean this can't happen in the Christian world. I oh know that your, uh, your ex-husband was, you know, in ministry and the same with, for me, like my ex, one, one of my abusive exes, the one I talk about more prominently was working for a very prominent church and still to this day does, <laughs> and, you know? Totally. And so it. It's not to like really put down people in ministry, but just to say like, actually, that can be almost more manipulating if you really think of them in leadership. Totally. But um, just to know that like just someone saying they're a Christian or just going to church or even working at a church doesn't mean that that person is um, exempt from potentially being yes. abusive.
1: In fact, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's more common to find abusers Mm. in the church than outside of it. And there, that's a whole different podcast. I think there are a bunch (laughs) of reasons for that. And it's not because it's not really maliciousness as often as you think it would be. Mm. It's, there are so many more reasons for that, but um, I think it's, it's really, really, really common. Like narcissism is being cultivated in the church. And I think it's by accident. I really do think it's by accident. Like I think, but, but I think we need a generation of women who are waking up to the fact that this is happening and who are very keen and um, very astute and who are not afraid to stand up to it and say, no, thank you. I'm not putting myself in that position. It's not just men, but yeah. it is particularly men in leadership in the church. Mm-hmm. It's a huge, huge, huge problem. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I'm just, thank you for saying that. I'm so passionate about people just like realizing like... That's actually more, even more um, of a formula for wolf in sheep's clothing, <laughs> you know, that looks yeah. more desirable because on paper, it looks all good and amazing and should be great. So it's way easier to fall into the mindset of that person will change and they I can give them grace. And, you know, like we throw around a lot of biblical terms and, and stuff of like, you know, a forgiveness and having all this grace. And there's a difference between, you know, being able to forgive someone, <laughs> but staying with them. because they're an unhealthy person you know um if the person is unhealthy they they're not necessarily a bad person but they could be an unhealthy person and not a person you can partner with
1: let me say forgiveness is so much easier from a distance yeah that's
0: true yeah (laughs) it's so
1: much easier to forgive someone truly forgive them when they're not living in my house and taking advantage of me day after day after day after day Yeah.
0: yeah that's so true girl Oh, Hallie, this is so good. I Okay, so I asked everyone just the same last question on Heart of Dating, which is, what is your final nugget of dating advice for the listeners today?
1: Oh, geez. I think my final nugget, this is my thing I say to everyone, is ask yourself, how do I feel about myself when I'm with this person?
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I think that's a question for everyone, whether you've ever been in an abusive relationship or never, it will give you so much insight into yourself and into the other person.
0: So good, girl. I love that question. I'm going to start encouraging that for people way more. So if people want to connect with you, again, Instagram, it's at Allie Fallon, right? And then your website Mm -hmm. and all of that. Just repeat that just so everyone has
1: it. So findyourvoice.com is the best place to go. You can also find me at allisonfallon.com. Okay, great. So either one of those.
0: Awesome. Girl, thank you so much for just sharing your heart vulnerably. And Just thank you for having a passion and wanting to bring truth to this area because it's really needed and you're using your story for such profound impact and change and just like redemption. And I think it's so beautiful to hear it so openly. And you've written a book about a lot of it. And now to see where you are today, like, just thank you for not saying, oh, this is in my past and I just want to keep going and never talk about it again, but like for actually using it to, to really help people because we need that help. So thank you.
1: Well, thank you for using your platform and for having me be a part of this. It's really it's an honor to be able to give back in this way because I, I hope that I can save. Mm. You know, I don't know that I can save women from any of the pain that I experienced, but I but I hope that we can start noticing the signs much sooner yeah. so that um, you don't have to deal with the long lasting effects the way that yes. I
0: did. Good and empower others to call it out if they or like, Mm -hmm. you know, address it and be more aware if they see it happening around them too. Mm -hmm. So good. Thanks girl. Thank you. Gosh, friends, this conversation is so powerful, so meaningful, and so needed. I have such a passion and an empathetic heart for anyone who's experienced abuse. I hope and pray you will connect with Allie and thank her for standing as such a beacon of light and strength and hope and wisdom in this area as she shares her story and empowers others. Also, in relation to this heartbreak series we're having right now, I've actually released a seven-day Heal from Heartbreak Bible study. I created this Bible study because, frankly, it's what I wish I had right after some of my major heartbreaks or rejections. Needless to say, I truly pray it blesses you. I hope you feel love radiating through the words. I hope you feel challenged by the questions. And ultimately, I just hope it feels like you're getting a warm embrace from Jesus. Also, this study is for both men and women. It's not gender specific. To get this Heal from Heartbreak Bible study. Go to bit.ly forward slash heartbreak Bible study.